Shut up and sit down. Welcome. Welcome back, everyone, to In the Context of Empire. My name is John Lancaster. I'm joined here by, of course, Matt McKenna. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm a little surprised you gave us a sudden, a sudden introduction because <laughs> you knew we were going to start talking about podcast topics if we didn't stop talking before the podcast. This is what happens, and I need to cut it off and make sure that we have it on the podcast. So, you know, I had to do it. But, hey, we are also joined by Dan. Dan, how are you doing? Uh, I'm great. I'm happy to be here <laughs> right now with you. There we go. Virtually, virtually. Virtually here. Yes. Matt called an emergency podcast today in light of what happened yesterday. So I'm, today, I'm sorry. I don't, yeah. What happened yesterday? I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. What is today? I, t- t- today is the 7th? Yes. Seventh. So this is a day after insurrectionists, if I may call them, stormed the Capitol building on the on the 6th during the certification of electoral college votes for Joe Biden. And I, like Matt said, had a surprise introduce this podcast because Matt and Dan had already been discussing it. And I want to capture the magic on a podcast. Matt, you called this podcast. What do you want to talk about first? And then we'll go from there. Uh, I, I think it'd be good to, for all of us to just kind of give our initial reactions. I actually did that in class today. You guys probably did as well. The, I just asked kids to talk about, well, what happened and w- what are your initial thoughts? You know, you don't, you know, with kids, I'm like, you don't have to, you know, share your deep opinions about this, but what were you thinking? And uh, I thought that's a good place uh, that that is a good place to start. Like when it, you know, this was going on yesterday afternoon, a lot of us were probably glued to our social media. You know, Dan and I were going back and forth on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well. John, you're, you're just a Facebook guy. Just a uh, Facebook and uh hinge, I believe ladies. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> So, you know, what I, I'll, I'll pivot to you both first. So where were you, what were you thinking when you first heard about this? Um, were you at all surprised? What, what were your initial thoughts about what was going on? So uh, I guess I'll start with Dan. What, what, what were you doing yesterday when you found out this was happening? And, and what, were, what was your initial reaction? Uh, I was uh, logging out of teaching my last period class when, you know, I uh, logged into my social media and, and began to see some of the reports coming in from D.C. First, just from sort of my fringe friends. Uh, and then later on, obviously, throughout the, the afternoon and evening, um, everybody, you know, piling on and beginning to see logging out of work, uh, people getting done with work and, and seeing what was happening. Uh, and my first instinct, um, as my kids were still in school and my wife was working, um, was to post in my Google Classroom, um, was to immediately go uh, back on my computer. Uh, it was still the school day. I don't teach the last two periods of the day and post in the Google Classroom uh, something to the effect of uh, if you are near a television or you have your phone near you, uh, turn on the news immediately. Um, and uh, then sort of sat with, do I attempt to engage students at that moment? Um, sort of outside of, and, and at that point, school likely ended. Uh, and so, you know, what was my role at that moment as their teacher? Uh, was it to engage with them, you know, after school hours? 
um, which I've certainly done, say, on like election nights and things. And I've had kids sort of meet up on Google Classroom, uh, but I chose not to. I didn't want to sort of overstep those bounds. And I left it for, um, as you alluded to, I'm sure as we all did today, uh, the conversations in class today. Yeah, and you were, sorry, John, to interrupt. Uh, Dan, yeah. you were the first person to, you know, kind of bring it to, you know, our little group text that, you know, well, I knew it was happening, but like the, you were the first one to like bring that reality. It's like, actually, we kind of have to talk about this, you know. Our, our silly curriculums, uh, you know, AP U.S. History, Global Studies, uh, U.S. History 1 are, are not that in sacred that, uh, that we can't interrupt it for kind of, at least in my lifetime, a once-in-a-lifetime thing in the United States um, that, you know, to address this. And, you know, I, I had that internal discussion with myself as well. Do we bring this up in class? But I'll, I'll get to my reactions uh, just shortly. John, um, how did you find out about it and what, what's your initial take? Uh, what was your initial take and maybe has that developed at all since the event started to transpire? Yeah. So I was actually in a meeting for work um, and I got a notification on my BBC app that uh, I don't know exactly what it said, but it's something about storming the Capitol. And so probably, you know, shouldn't say this, but I did open a new tab just to see what was going on. And I just remember seeing myself, because it was like a Zoom call, seeing my own facial reaction to what I was seeing, which was obviously shock. Um, I, I think my initial reactions, well, selfishly, my first reaction, as you said, I am on Facebook. I was very curious to see how those on my you know Facebook feed during the summer months when this podcast really started really how people were who were in opposition to black lives matter i wanted to see very like very quickly i was very interested like are they talking about this and how are they talking about this which we can talk about uh, suffice it to say they were either silent or trying to point out how different this was and this one was okay and but we can talk about that and then my other reaction and this is again you can all tell me if this is misguided or uh, kind of foolish, but my my initial reaction, and Dan, I think I shared it with you a little bit this morning, is like when we're pointing out, like my, my mind, I'm you know, the first thing was like these people are kind of crazy. These people are crazy. They're insane. But I think that thinking of pinning all of this responsibility and sanity on the crowd that that stormed the Capitol building is a bit misguided. Um, and I think that, again, this crowd, despite what they did, they're really like powerless. They're not making policy. They're not the people who ate, like aided, abetted, and made this happen. Of course, they did it. They're responsible for their actions. Um, but to to pin the majority of responsibility on on the crowd, I think, gives a pass to those in power who made it happen. Um, and I think that's my initial reaction. And that's kind of where I'm at now. But I don't know, Matt, where, what what was your take? Where were you? And what was your initial reaction? Yeah. Um, so I want to make note of something you said, though. And, you know, it's kind of symbolic of this entire Trump era to kind of focus on 
the myopic and the, uh, sorry, the minuscule rather than the bigger picture, you know, like the MSNBC liberal can point out individual problems with either Trump supporters or the Trump or, or Trump himself, but never critique the overall capitalism, imperialism, militarism. And it, it, it's so this yesterday was so symbolic, uh, especially we'll get into media criticism in a second, but that was so symbolic of the entire four years, you know, the entire four years of yes, Trump is a criminal, but, you are focused on the entirely wrong thing right now. Right. And uh, so I'll be brief with my reaction. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm trying to remember yesterday. Uh, I, yeah, I think <laughs> it's the same as uh, Dan, uh, where we, I think I started to see it on my social media toward the end of the day. Uh, my initial reaction was like, obviously people could have seen this coming, right? Like, um, the, you know, this is, we're talking about thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people gathered in Washington, D.C. What was there, a massive, like, Airbnb bookage? <laughs> like, where do these people stay? <laughs> like, where do you, I was joking around, like, where do you stay for a coup? Like, do they book hotels? Are they all in trailers? Which I guess is a little bit of poverty, poverty shaming myself. You just sell into the logistics. You really want to know the logistics um, of this. But, you know, this this is this was predictable. You know, we we've known that Trump has been trying to deny the election results for weeks now, uh, calling them illegitimate. And you know, it, if you are calling an election illegitimate, what you know the the other it's there's not a whole lot of other options besides violence. And Trump is kind of refusing to uh, condemn or and uh, any of his uh, more extreme supporters for a long time now, including the the more extreme uh, white supremacist elements. So I'm not entirely, I was not entirely surprised. I guess kind of naively, I was a, a little surprised how successful they were in storming the Capitol. You know, this is the kind of, I, I think I texted John or maybe I texted you both. Uh, this is the kind of shit I've been saying the left needs to do for fucking years now, you know, like, <laughs> it's a shame like the storming the capital thing doesn't happen for something that's meaningful you know like let's end the war in yemen otherwise we'll storm the capital and make you feel unsafe instead it's like let's try to deny the results of a legitimate election so you know there's a you know among other thoughts that we'll get into that was my kind of initial reaction like man i uh, look at me uh, the guy who's uh usually advocating for some radical action like this it ends up being the right wing that does it instead of the left and uh it you know I think uh, the right wing outmaneuvered the left in this case. And, uh, you know, and, and there'll almost definitely not be any real consequence. And I think, uh, Matt, I want to throw it back to you to transition to, to the next thing. But I do want to go back to Dan because, Dan, you talked, you know, about your reaction in regards to like almost the, oppor- the, the, the lesson there that could be taught in the moment for, for your students. But what was your reaction more generally to the protests going on? Um. I guess I'd say a lot of what Matt said, right? Not surprised about what happened, um, but surprised about, again, like Matt said, how how easily they were able to do what they did. Um, I I linked it in class today, you know, this idea of um, the the privilege with which, and and I'm not the first person to say this, and I won't be the last, I'm sure, but the privilege with which these people operated um, and the impunity that they have to to just know if they're going to be able to stroll in and be invited into these places and suffer no repercussion. And, you know, this isn't, you know, some revolution that popped out of nowhere. This is sort of natural next step for, of America. You know, this is and the direction that we've been headed or the direction we've uh, uh and, and this is really no 
big surprise to me. Yeah, and what Dan was saying, we'll definitely get into shortly because it because it you know it, it bears repeating, but it because it is so fucking obvious, right? It it's just it, there's just no chance that a Black Lives Matter protest would have been treated the way you know with the level of kid gloves that this protest yesterday. For, sorry, I, I'm using the wrong word. This riot yesterday was treated with. It's, there's just no chance. It's it, I mean we can we can talk about how we know that's true, but you know it's. You don't need to do any research to actually know that. It's just factual that there's no chance it would have been treated the same way. But what I want to get into right now is the terrible, absolutely horrible coverage of this by the mainstream media. And there's a couple of things I want to point to before we that we can kind of vibe off of for a second. And one of the first things here is there were many times that you saw the this happen on the, where the mainstream a common thread was that we don't see this in the United States of America. Uh, this is kind of stuff you see in a banana republic. This is stuff you see in a third world country. This is stuff that Vladimir Putin wants to happen here. Right. And, uh, and it's just such obfuscation of reality as if, as if this is not a, as if right-wing extremism isn't part and parcel of the American experience. So, I want to talk. I'll toss it to you guys, and then I'll kind of respond. Did you hear that kind of talk? That like this is banana republic stuff. Uh, this is a uh, this is third world stuff. And you know, do, did you did you both have any reactions to uh, to that kind of language? And you know, if you did, like, what are your thoughts about the, using that kind of uh, that that kind of allude, alluding to that kind of uh, metaphor when uh, in, during this kind of situation? So, John, I'll pass to you first. Yeah, I mean, while it was going on, I think they called Mike Gallagher, um, and he—that he, uh, was the first time I heard it where he said this is some Banana Republic stuff. Uh, but I, I mean, I haven't been watching a ton of the mainstream media, you know, a lot of alternative media. But in terms of that coming up, of like this is what happens in other countries, this doesn't happen here. That stuff has come up just in conversations with you know folks that I've that I've talked to. Um, it came up in you know that that's something that came up in class as well. Um, and yeah, that like the initial reaction is goes back to something we talk about all the time is like that American exceptionalism type of idea that, you know, that stuff happens there. That stuff doesn't happen here. And it's, it's like, why, why like, how does that make sense? It, <laughs> it just, it just did. Um, and it hasn't like, it, it's, it's bizarre to me that, that rhetoric, I, I think, I think it's just because, you know, people, when people see in the news that some type of um, violent protests have happened, typically they, they are reading from these other countries. But regardless, that rhetoric of like that happens in these underdeveloped third world banana republics. That's I mean, it, it's bizarre to me to, to say that. And I think that I know we've chatted a little bit about it, but um to me, it's like a lot of American exceptionalism. I think you point out, so I won't I won't go into this, but I think you point out the racism involved there, which I think is really important. Um, well, right. When they say banana republic, uh, third world country, we're talking about 100% non-white co- countries that are non-white countries, uh, the, dom- the dominant populations of, their con- of the nation. Uh, so, Dan, I'll throw it to you. Have you heard that at all uh, in the coverage of 
this situation? Uh, do you feel like this is a common narrative where you hear the deflection in the media? That <clears throat> this is something that's un-American. This doesn't happen here. This is third world banana republic stuff. And I, I'm wondering if you had a reaction to that. Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly what I was hearing yesterday. So much of what I was hearing. I'll admit with a little bit of shame uh, in the excuse that I wanted to watch what uh, the rest of the world was watching, that I was glued to MSNBC yesterday. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, so, yeah, watching, I don't know, eight, nine, ten hours of MSNBC, you know, showing the same B-roll footage. Um, and, you know, essentially saying the same thing over and over and over. Uh, I heard so much of that. You know, this doesn't happen here. Uh, and then my favorite one, everyone's favorite one, um, this isn't who we are. Um, just so much of that and so much. Just like like all of these folks, you know, these, these, these commentators on these TV channels are, you know, so clearly intelligent people. But all of a sudden when something like this happens, it's like every bit of context in history goes out of their heads. Uh, and suddenly this is the first time this has ever happened to anybody. Um, and how could this possibly happen uh, to us? One, one thing I'll add, actually, though, is in talking about this with my students, um, one of my quietest kids uh, was talking to me about how he spoke to family members, uh, one in Spain uh, and one in Egypt um, yesterday mm. after this happened. And they were telling him about sort of their how they're seeing it through their media uh, and just sort of this mockery uh, and sort of this joke that we are, uh, that America is uh, in uh, the rest of the world's eyes. You know, something I, you know, most of us likely would have predicted, but it was just so fascinating hearing it through um, being communicated through uh, young kids, you know, voice. You know, it, it also reminds me of, you know, how we're talking about this in terms of like, where were you? What were you doing? And, and the rhetoric that we're hearing reminds me of like 9-11 and things that we've talked about where it's like this flashpoint moment, but it's also that same bit of like history before the event has been erased in commentators' mind. Like this, you know what I mean? Like there's no context or buildup. Um, and that whole rhetoric of like, this isn't who we are. It's like, if, if you had some historical understanding, it, it, it I mean, it's, it's exactly like we could predict this. This isn't... Um, something that would happen out of the blue. So, you know, and it's, it's kind of similar to what we talk about with, you know, with nine 11, where history, if history started on nine 11, that'd be a different, that'd be a very different understanding than all of the context years prior. Yeah. It's like when we had a uh, anti-war uh, journalist, Scott Horton on the show, it's like nine 11 li- literally came out of the blue, right? Like the, the plane came out of the blue in, in the literal sense. And also metaphorically, because Americans just didn't understand how, how anyone could possibly do this to America. And with this situation, you know, we're going to talk about this in a second, but there's nothing un-American about right-wing extremism. There are very few things more American than right-wing extremism. Uh, But before we move on, I I just want to like, you know, I, I do this with the kids all the time and they probably find me super annoying for it. But, you know, I constantly repeat that language is important. And when we when you hear popular news outlets repeating terms like this is banana Republic stuff, or this is stuff that happens in the third world, we should identify that as being imperialist and certainly uh, to a degree racist. Uh, Cause we're talking about 
what they're saying is this is stuff that happens in non-white countries. And, and, and it's also just totally obfuscating of the, what the United States is in the world. Banana republics are li- very literally governments created by the United States. These are governments in Central America uh, that were created by overthrowing a government, uh, a previous – sorry, I got to sneeze. <laughs> oh, man. These are governments that were created by the United States government, places like the Honduras, uh, later on Guatemala, uh, and a host of other countries that were created to serve the interest of U.S. fruit corporations, like Dole Fruit Company. We could add Hawaii to that list as well, by the way, uh, like United Fruit. So when they say banana republics, there is zero conflicts that context that banana republics were created by the United States for the interest of U.S. capitalism, and in, you know, and almost all the time, the, these were brutal, repressive regimes that were extremely deferential to United States interests, specifically in this case, the the fruit interest. So they don't have no context when they say that this doesn't happen here. Well, it certainly happens in places that the United States insisted on propping up. And the other thing is the third world. The third world, in other words, that's the formerly colonized world, the the world that used to be colonized by Europe, Western Europe and the United States of America that was exploited and had it had its uh, resources extracted and wealth extracted by the European countries and the United States uh, prior to 1945. And then since 1945 has been subject to constant military interventions by the United States, along with uh, consistent economic extraction, too, by multinational corporations largely based in the United States. So just recognize what people are talking about when they talk about the third world. They're talking about largely black and brown countries who have been subject to constant interventions and destabilizations. And then they want to criticize those countries for maybe having some problems politically. Um, John, did you have a comment? I'm about to move on. Or Dan. No, I think Dan. Yeah, I think Dan has a comment. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to say, I don't want to sound overwrought or like a broken record, but like, this is why we do what we do, right? Like, I was so happy to be able to sort of like virtually walk into my classroom and say to my kids, like, you know, this isn't like exactly what you just said, like, you know, this isn't where this started. You know, you know, that what we need to do now is ask why, you know, that we need to just go back and back and back and think through that this didn't come out of the blue, as you said. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And like the, the 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 lack of ability of like i said before seemingly intelligent people to do that is 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 truly scary to me yeah and i think that like that's where i kind of started I'll, I'll talk really really briefly but that's kind of what i did with my students today was like what caused this because all, all we're talking about is like basic historical understanding of like causality like what causes what um And when you have, again, like you're saying, Dan, like an inability for those who are in the media, those who are in power, politicians, when you have this kind of rhetoric where, you know, there's no grasp of context or causality. And um, it's, again, it's bizarre to see how that could just go out of their heads. And, but I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm kind of in the right place for this right now because I've been plowing through the audiobook of Noam Chomsky's Manufactured Consent. 
manufacturing consent, I should say. And he talks exactly about that. So Dan, you mentioned before, like how seemingly intelligent people can repeat these talking points. Well, it has nothing to do with their intelligence. You know, I don't doubt that like Dan Rather was a really smart guy, but you know, he's been groomed for this job where there's a, there's an acceptable spectrum of debate and it all falls within this larger American imperialistic uh, point of view. So, you know, it's not that surprising that even people we think are might be on the left side of the mainstream media, you know, I'm thinking like the MSNBC hosts like Chris Hayes and Ari Melber. It's like even they'll they'll certainly repeat all kinds of jingoistic shit that, you know, that people on the left or people who are internationalists would find horrifying because they don't know any better. They don't actually they're not they don't have an agenda. That's just the way they think. That's how they got the job to begin with. But I want to shift to some of the other problems here and you know i'll comment on this i you guys know i have a of an issue with this uh this phenomenon i'm about to discuss overall so feel free to jump in otherwise we can keep going after i say this but once again as a another amazing symptom of the trump era we have to hear from these uh ex-Bush officials, including George Bush himself, George W. Bush, and but once again being lionized for the, uh, for the accomplishment of, in this case, being better than Trump. And that, George, you know, last, yesterday on the media, you saw that George Bush has come out and, and condemned the protest, sorry, not the protest, the rioting, saying, you know, he, among other things, he was dumb enough to use the Banana Republic's line. And, uh, you know, and then he, you know, he says something to the effect of, you know, violence is not, this is unbecoming of America. The violence is not how we do things. Seriously, George fucking Bush, who is responsible for millions of people being killed. George, we, we have to take him seriously. And of course, this goes by unquestioned because he's, uh, he's like slightly more polite than Trump. And I just think it's gross that like any, any criticism of a fascist, uh, gets elevated right and i'm just thinking like you know we can really get by we're more than capable of criticizing fascism and fighting fascism without the help of george w bush a a warmonger a war criminal it's just so gross that that kind of opinion still gets elevated and then yeah and then and then what happens is you get you know the 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 Senate and the House coming back together last night at eight and you get these speeches being given, you know, alternating back and forth between the Dems and the Republicans. And you get someone like Lindsey Graham, who suddenly now is saying things that make sense to neoliberals. And it's like you see your social media light up with, you know, how great is what Lindsey Graham's saying? You know, where did this come from? And it's this insanity that like, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> like, what did like, like, did, did, did right? Like, not only did did history start yesterday, did history start at eight p.m. yesterday? Like, <laughs> like did we we forgot everything. I I actually saw something today where you know Mike Pence is receiving some you know minor accolade for saying something like we you know violence is not something that's ever acceptable. It's like Mike Pence, like dude. You love violence. You you know you love murdering babies. You um you support it. You support the ongoing genocide in Yemen. You su- you are a huge supporter of the war in Iraq. You love violence. So stop saying. And that goes. He's the person I'm talking about. But that goes for many politicians, both sides of the aisle, who say they they find violence unacceptable. So shut up. Like we don't need to hear from you. You're a hypocrite. <laughs> it also reminds me of all like the resignations that's happened, like Mick Mulvaney resigning. It's it's like. There's like really no, and there's no accountability and it makes it, and you have like, again, commentators applauding someone like Mick Mulvaney resigning after 
years of just atrociousness. So it's like, <laughs> I think it's really comes back to me for, it comes back to accountability. Like, like you're saying, Mally, George Bush having a platform right now is because of a, a total lack of accountability. And again, a complete deletion of historical understanding about what happened. Right. And the same, the same thing here. Imagine, yeah. imagine what's going to happen. What would happen? It's not going to happen. But what would happen um, if for some way Pence in the cabinet was able to use the 25th Amendment to get Trump out of office? Imagine the Christ-like figure Pence would become for that amongst everybody. Right. Like we would we would simply just ignore everything that ever happened and 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 put these people on such a pedestal. Yeah. yeah and, you know, my problem with this and I've, I've been saying this for a while now is where is the where is the bottom floor to this? Right. Like, so, yes, George Bush is acceptable now. You know, we've seen John Bolton become acceptable recently because he said mean things about Trump. What's going to happen in, you know, five years when we have someone worse than Trump as president? And, you know, are we going to find figures like Mike Pence and Donald Trump, even himself, acceptable? Because they seem, you know, uh, a little more uh, less uncouth than whoever the current president is. And it's like what like I know I've said this before, so I'm not going to dwell on it. It's like what would you have to do to become a pariah in this society? It's like George Bush killed millions of people like. He, he, he didn't himself do it, but he was certainly overseeing a torture program. You know, Barack Obama and Donald Trump have, have been complicit in genocide. Like what, seriously, what would they have to do to not be welcomed in polite society? Because it seems like there's an endless level of forgiveness, unless you say kind of uncouth, mean things like Trump. And, uh, you know, that's no defense of Trump whatsoever, but it's just, I'm just com- commenting on the pathology of the American mind here. And I, I, I do want to move us to the next thing here. It's like, and this is something I tried to talk about with the kids today is w- the United States history, it does not exist outside of international history. It does not exist out of, uh, out of the context of the global community. And we have to look at this through the international perspective because the reality is the United States has had an undue amount of influence in these same kind of affairs overseas. So um, when it is very important to note that when other countries have similar kinds of political turmoil, the United States has reacted in basically one of two ways. And I'll talk about the first way. Um, when it's a, a country that the United States has a disagreement with or enmity toward, uh, usually because it doesn't fall in line with U.S. financial interests or military interests. The United States has used these exact kinds of situations uh, to level militarism against those countries. So you can look at the, you know, a thousand examples, but, you know, some ones that stick out to me is there's a political dispute in Grenada in 1983. The United States invaded Grenada, and uh, you know, a, a an island with a military the size of like the New York City police force. Uh, it's a very tiny island, you know, probably killed about 500 to 1,000 people, uh, invaded the island, violated their sovereignty because they're having a political dispute. Same thing has happened in places like Panama, Haiti, uh, and, and Dominican Republic a bunch of times, most recently in 1965. But, and, you know, in the same time, we constantly will sanction countries because they're having similar kinds of political disputes. We sanction Venezuela, we sanction Iran, we sanction Syria. And the question is, you know, why is that never 
reversed, right? It, it, and the only reason it is is because other countries can't do that to us. We're able to collectively punish populations of countries that have political turmoil, often born out of U.S. actions themselves. We'll get into that. But it never, ever works the other way. And the other option is, uh, I, Dan, your your wife wrote something funny on Facebook yesterday that I responded to, and she she uh, she shared something that was to the effect of, I'll, I'll butcher it, but it's basically, if America saw what was going on in America right now, they would probably invade America. <laughs> and on one end, yeah, that's, that's probably correct in the former case where they don't like the government of America. Uh, in some other cases, though, uh, it, w- it would be pretty likely, given the political uh, affiliation of who was rebelling, if there's a right-wing rebellion or a right-wing uh, opposition group, I think it's actually more likely that America would be funding the right wing and arming the right wing in that particular country, because that is the history of what the United States does when there's any kind of right wing opposition to some kind of left wing government. Look, we don't have a anything reproaching a left wing government, even with even especially with Joe Biden uh, about to assume the presidency. But the reality is that this is the exact kind of right-wing coup that the United States will typically support. And, you know, not even that long ago, 2019 in Bolivia, this is literally the exact kind of right-wing coup that the United States government has supported. Um, so I'll, I'll pass it to John, but I, I just want to get your guys' take. Like, you know, what does this look like internationally? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, you know, my, your perspective is always the international perspective. I think it is important. I think my perspective is similar in regards to like, I'm thinking of it in regards to all of it in regards to power. And it goes back to kind of like what we've talked about of us being the United States being the most powerful country, most powerful empire on the planet and how just being that results in the things that you're talking about. You know, the United States invading islands and supporting uh, insurrectionist movements to overthrow other governments. And yet when the same thing happens, you know, you don't see you don't see Russian soldiers on the streets or you don't see any, any you know. So to me, it's, it's an issue of power, which is something I want to kind of flesh out a little bit more in a bit. But that's kind of like my perspective is is this is all about power. I'll, I'll take that a little bit. I'll take what, what Matt said there and sort of do what I do, which is apply it to my classroom and just talk a little bit about, you know, I, I'm lucky in some sense, you know, in my one class, I won't name the class per se, but in my one class, um, we just wrapped up a project a case study where kids looked at different countries throughout the world and the history of American intervention in those countries. And so when I, again, when I sort of like virtually walked into class today, you know, my students were prepared with that context and know, you know, this is what a coup looks like when it's perpetrated by the U.S. in, you know, Bolivia or wherever the case may be, you know, the 20 or so countries that students looked at uh, and were able to have that conversation from that international perspective, you know, looking at what happened here yesterday and i say to my kids and and i don't think this is overstated but i say to my kids you know the conversations we have in this classroom are more sophisticated and higher level than almost any 99.9 percent of conversations you know around the country about this same topic um and just one of the many reasons i feel lucky to you know do what i do 
Yes, Dan, I had the same kind of conversation with the kids today. And I, I again, I try to put it in a global perspective. And, you know, in, in terms of extending global empathy, you know, the what happened in the United States yesterday, I was trying to explain, like, this is just a small taste. You know, this was a coup that was not successful. Probably ha- it had no chance to be successful. Um, but this is the exact you know, kind of a, a microcosm, a, a small version of what people have experienced around the world. And I went through all these examples of countries that have been through coups that have either been directly organized or at least supported by the United States. And, you know, we're talking about examples like in, in Indonesia, the United States supported a coup that ended up killing a million people, <laughs> like civilians, not that it would matter if it was soldiers either, but a million innocent people, uh, you know, all around Central and South America, you know, the, the attempted coup in Nicaragua, you know, with the Contras killed tens of thousands of people. The, the coup in Chile, you know, the real 9-11, uh, overthrowing Salvador Allende, tens of thousands of people, many more tortured by the eventual regime that took that took power. So it's like this is a small opportunity as kind of. Uh, tragic as yesterday's events were to have Americans and, and young people especially realize like this is a small version of what people around the planet have dealt with at the hands of your country. And, you know, the, that I really think that's worth noting, like this is what we've put other people through. And that's not even including the, the, the horrors of like actual warfare. I'm talking about just like the covert actions, you know, talk, there's uh, there's too many examples for me to even name, but just you know, many of you have probably uh, both of you have probably heard of Operation Condor, where the United States uh, organized these right after performing the coups in South American countries, Chile, uh, Uruguay, uh, Bolivia, Brazil, uh, Argentina. They they actually served as the conduit between these countries to have a international execution program. They killed something like a hundred thousand people, <laughs> and of course, the many more just lived under that kind of U.S. supported terror every day. And it's like this is what a coup is. A coup is scary, even if you don't like the government you currently lived on you under. You don't want to live through a coup. This is the, this is the definition of living in fear. And I know John, you wanted to jump in, so I'll pass it to you. Well, I, you know. I kind of wanted to, because going back to that first question, the other thing that I did uh, when this first happened was uh, my, my girlfriend's uh, brother texted me. and's like, How, what do you make of this? And the thing that I said, and it's kind of going off of what we're talking about is imagine if this was a left movement. Imagine if this was black lives matter and how different this would be. And so Matt, you're talking about, United States historically supporting, you know, right wing insurrection or supporting um, destabilized governments um, that are right wing. And so I I think I think I also want to talk about that, which is the difference, again, between what we saw over the summer with the police reaction, the kind of rhetoric that we were seeing around those protests um, and even the rhetoric around those protests, like Black Lives Matter protests that got violent. I I even think that's an interesting thing to talk about in comparison to, again, the police reaction yesterday, um, the result of yesterday, and also the rhetoric around the violence that happened there. So I don't know if you all have any reactions, but I have a ton of thoughts. Well, uh, I think 
that we don't even have to speculate. We know absolutely for a fact that the protest, sorry, I keep saying it, it's not a fr- the insurrection yesterday was treated with far less brutality, if any brutality. I know someone was, or a couple, four people were killed maybe. Um, but we're talking about, a, you know, thousands of people rushing the Capitol. I, I, it's not just that I just can't imagine that like an anti-war movement, a Black Lives Matter movement, uh, an animal rights movement would would have like minimum of hundreds of casualties uh, and many, many arrests as well, of course. Uh, it's just that we know for a fact they would. The, we see in these videos, the police are literally corrob- corroborating with the with the movement, right? The, the extreme right-wing movement. We see, you know, all you have to do is go on social media for eight seconds and f- see the countless videos of police cooperating with the insurrectionists from yesterday, like letting them go through barricades, uh, giving them a pass. Um, you know, there's also a ton of anecdotal evidence. People I know, uh, someone we're going to have on the podcast tomorrow has talked to me about like, you can, at a, a Black Lives Matter protest or an anti-police protest, Right-wingers can show up, the Blue Lives Matter crowd can show up, beat the living shit out of somebody, and the, the police will, if not shake their hand and, like, congratulate them, they'll at least let them go past. And, you know, that's anecdotal, but now we have actual video. We know this is true. There's just no fucking way that the highest surveilled state in human history didn't know that there was going to be a mass gathering uh, on the, on the Capitol and attempt to storm the Capitol. They're, 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 it was done on Instagram. Like, this is not a fucking secret. And the other thing, like, the other thing that is very important, I think, is like this, and Dan, I, I definitely want to get your perspective on that last question, though, in terms of the, you know, the difference between what we saw over the summer versus this. But just going really quickly, Matt, what you're saying, like, that this wasn't a surprise, to be clear, like Trump, I don't know what you'd call it. I think, I don't know exactly. It, it was a rally. Trump held a rally just a few blocks and told people to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Capitol building. Like this wasn't like unplanned. This was a, a planned thing and it was directed by the president. So I just want to make that clarification as well. But Dan, what do you make of the differences that we see? And if this were a left-wing movement of any sort, the differences that we would see yesterday? Yeah, I'm not going to break any new ground here, I don't think. But it's the impunity with which police operate in this country, right? We all see it. Anyone listening to this podcast right now, you know, knows what we're going to say before we say it. Um, Matt, Matt's 100% right. We heard it said yesterday. We'll hear it say it said forever on. And we'll likely um, never see anyone held to account for this. You know, I think I just saw it come across my uh, social media now that the, the chief of the Capitol Police um, resigned. And it's like maybe that's the most we'll see. But, you know, th- there is, you know, straight complicity here of police with the rioters, with even rioters, too soft a word, right? With the, uh, with uh, the, the, I, I don't know exactly what the right word is because I, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't know. It's not really domestic terrorist either. I'm not really comfortable with that either. But, um, yeah, just the absolute complicity. And, um, to, to bear this point, to prove this point a little bit more, you know, my 10 year old yesterday said this to me without prompting, right? This isn't, you know, again, like, I'm not breaking new ground here. This is obvious. You know, anyone who's been to a protest, anyone who's, you know, witnessed the treatment of Black Lives Matter protesters, you know, sees exactly what this is and and, and what's happening. Yeah, I I definitely, I don't think 
anecdotal evidence is is at all like dismissible i think that's very real you know you'd get enough real lived experience of people who have been at these events and they'll tell you that the the cops absolutely are 100 percent ideologically aligned with the protests um and i'll give some shout outs because i'm kind of biting material here i know I, I shared the citations needed podcast with you guys earlier but you know that they're they're talking about the same thing we're not talking about ideologically opposed groups and it's not that surprising that the cops are a little more are a lot more sympathetic to the protest. Uh, I keep saying protest, the insurrection that is generally favorable toward cops as opposed to the the protest that is generally not in favor of the co- the cops and their behavior. So, as, at a starting point, it should be obvious. But now we have you know it's just so much documented evidence. Just go on social media, look around. There, there's tons of clips of people being filming the, the cops just letting people into the past barricades, you know, treating them with kid gloves when they, when, when they storm the capital of the United States. Um, right. and, and now what we're going to see and what we, we're, what we already have seen today is someone like the head of the Chicago police union going on NPR mm-hmm. uh, and saying, I didn't, you know, I watched the footage. I didn't see any uh, criminal activity. I didn't see anyone destroying property. We're going to get this sort of Orwellian, you know, speak here where they're just going to deny that it happened. And, uh, you know, the 39% of Americans or however many who, you know, claim the election were rigged are just going to, you know, buy it. They're going to say, oh, you know, nothing criminal happened. You know, those videos are fabricated. That's Antifa. That's that, that's whomever. Well, that's already what we were seeing is like the claim that, I don't know if you've seen this, Antifa or Black Lives Matter protesters instigated the violence that we saw or some crazy like conspiratorial thing like this. I don't know if you've seen this yet. Yeah, I, I just want to say I was home in my house at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his wife and kids can affirm that. Um, and, you know, I, I can't let not the left, but liberals off the hook for this because they engaged in all kinds of nonsense after the 2016 election to dragging this this Russiagate thing on for years and years when really we could have been focused on such so many of the real crimes of the right. And, you know, um not that that's at the level of this this total uh, insurrectionist movement and denial of election results, but I do think that it is worth acknowledging that the, you know the the MSNBC liberals have spent a long time not paying attention to the real crimes of the the right wing fascists, and I, that is worth calling attention to. Um, I don't know if anyone else has anything to say on that. If not, I'm I'm going to move to this idea um, that I've been seeing broadcast quite a bit, and. It's something that drives me crazy, and you know, you see, you've seen politicians on on Democratic and Republican Party. I was going to say on the left and the right, but all of us know that both parties are on the right uh, for the most part. Um, that this is not us. This is a uh, you know, this kind of relates to the Banana Republic Third World thing earlier. This is uh, un-American. This kind of uh, violent rejection of election results. This kind of right-wing extremism. And it just drives me crazy, uh, especially when they try to deflect and talk about other countries, uh, that this is somehow the, the uh, uh, derivative of behavior of other countries. And we're living in the empire. We're living in imperialism is by nature a right wing phenomenon. Right. And we live in the largest, most powerful empire that has ever existed in human history. And the idea that right wing extremism is foreign to the American experiment is, I mean, not only without evidence, it's fucking insane. Like, um, 
And I, I just wanted to go through a few things here, like why this is not at all foreign to our experience here in America. And not, you know, not only is this American, this right wing extremism is as American as apple pie. And, you know, I'll go through a few th- things here that make me think that that's true. Uh, and feel free to chime in at any point, gentlemen. Uh, United States is founded and expanded on the basis of indigenous genocide, ethnic cleansing, and also slavery. You know, the, the, the initial profits and, and financial success of this country, economic thriving of this nation, uh, was absolutely based on the exploitation of both uh, African slaves and the and the genocide of the indigenous. Uh, the United States is at war; has been at war for all but eleven years of its existence. Something we learned from our guest David Vine from two weeks ago. Check it out, fellas. Um, you know, we have the largest military in human history. We 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 overadulate our military. You know, try going to a football game or a baseball game without hearing support the troops or having to watch the flag rolled out on the field. God bless America. All that shit. Um, we, you know, it was sp- speaking of right wing, uh, we mentioned this before, but the United States has armed and supported nearly every single oppressive right wing government since 1945 and really before that, but especially since the, co- the Cold War began. And that includes even monarchies in the Middle East, you know, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, uh, the UAE. Uh, the, the, the idea that the United States uh, stands for democracy really needs to be called into question, too. We'll do that in another episode. Our police kill a thousand people a year. That is extreme. It's not normal. Uh, it, I don't know if that leaves the world. I'm going to guess it does, actually. Uh, unless we start including countries that are literally at war, I'm going to guess that that, that that it leaves the world, that our police kill roughly a thousand people every year. Um, for, we have uh, we have the world's largest penal colony. Roughly two million people are, are in prison in the United States. It's even more when you start counting people on parole and on probation. That's not normal. And I know, John, you would tell us that it's not just the population. It's also by rate. You know, like people will say, like, well, the United States has a lot of people. No, actually, we have a lot. Uh, by, even by the rate of incarceration, we have the most. You know, the, it doesn't end there. And I'll, I'll short us on all the stats that I listed. But, um, you know, we have a right wing healthcare system where healthcare is literally run by for profit companies where we, we think it's moral to deny people health care because, because they, either they're jobless or they're not covered for whatever reason because uh, a health care company basically can't make money off of their, their, their sickness. And at the end of the day, the United States, uh, 70, in the United States, 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. 70 million people voted for what's at this point outright fascism. You know, this is not crazy to say that uh, right that right wing extremism is un American. So we need to stop looking to other countries and we need to start looking inward and say, like, this is a dire- direct outgrowth of the American experiment. Uh, you know, this country, uh, I could throw in this, a country was an apartheid state until not until the 1960s. And you could argue remains so in many ways, but it was a legal apartheid state. So I'll end there. So I'll, I'll pass to you guys. What do you make of this claim that this is not us? This is un-American, this kind of uh, right-wing extremism, this kind of denial of election results. Dan, you want me to take this one? Yeah, you, you take this one. All right. 
I mean, it's it's. I think it's pretty clear. Just, I mean, you mentioned all of the, all of these examples and all of these historical examples as well. But like, it's just clear in the culture. Like, we are we are built on a culture of quote unquote individualism, on the illusion that personal struggle, or I, I should say, the illusion that struggle is personal and not related to to political decisions. Like you'll pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's your fault that you're in this situation. I think that's like the biggest illusion um, that, that America perpetuates is that personal struggle is somehow personal and not political. But you know, you have capitalism is, is the cornerstone of America. And like, that's, I I think that's kind of embedded in, in the culture. You know, when people think of, you know, America, it's cap, you know, capitalism, individualism, and so I don't think this is all surprising, like all of these stats that we have, because that is that is the system in which we are in. Those are the the outcomes of a system in which which we're in. Um, so again, like it's it's kind of the same. It's almost the same message. Like it, that shouldn't be really that surprising when you when you look at the policies, the system that we have. All of those things that you're mentioning should kind of come a little bit. I mean, maybe they're shocking, but they shouldn't be that surprising. Similar to yesterday, like maybe it's shocking, but it really shouldn't be that surprising. You know, this is this is a result of a system, result of a history that that we've been operating in for a long time. I think one of the things I, I harp on with my students is that nothing's inevitable. I think so often people who aren't historians come into the study of history as if, you know, everything that happens was inevitable. It was bound to happen. Even like looking at yesterday, like that was inevitable. And it's like, no, right? Like reinforcing with kids that like things aren't inevitable. The world doesn't have to look like this. Uh, It's not going to change magically and it's not going to change overnight, but this isn't how it has to be. These are, this, this is purposeful. These are choices people make to go along, to live within the status quo. And that, you know, if enough of us push back, you know, the, the future will be different. Yeah, uh, I, I actually reiterate that often as well, you know, uh, you know, just to bring it back to our curriculum, you know, I've been teaching lately the, the choices that were made in the late 19th century for the United States to become this global empire. And I always emphasize, well, first of all, the United States was an empire from its very beginning, you know, you extend across the continent, that makes you an empire, you know, we wouldn't call it, we would also we would certainly call it an empire if it was uh, any other continent that a collection of colonies extended from one coast to the other. Uh, but then, you, you know, the late 19th century, the United States extends and starts conquering places like the Philippines, Guam, etc. And it's like none of this is inevitable. The people make conscious decisions. It, it, there's no such thing as manifest destiny, right? And the second you start believing that, you take away agency from people who made decisions. And you know, something else I want to focus on, I know we're, we're running close on time here, is, you know, I'll bring it back to this idea that, um, you know, we talk about racism, we talk about, we talk about oppression, but we need to look at it from a bigger point of view. And again, this is my biggest issue with the, the classic liberal, like they'll focus on issues like uh, the occasional police shooting in the United States, uh, which is more than occasional. They'll talk about the oppression of people of color here, but they never focus on the fact that 
the global empire is imperial and it's racist, right? Uh, obviously, it's imperial, but of course, it's ra- it, it kills millions of people who are black and brown, and, and we're we've totally lost sight of the ball on this. And you know what? What I want to bring to people is like, no, this this particular event is not unique. If you look at things in a global perspective, if you look at things that the United States has done in a global perspective, and and no, Donald Trump is not unique when we talk about the United States as a whole, right? You know, you, we talked about this before, John, like Andrew Jackson's basically Donald Trump, right? Like we've seen Donald Trump's before. Ronald Reagan's basically Donald Trump, who's more polite. And this idea that Trump is unique is going to allow someone worse than Trump to come along. And I, I fucking guarantee it. You, you'll be talking to me in uh, 2024 when Tom Cotton gets elected um, about how much better Trump was than Tom Cotton. Um, so I'll pass to you, John. I can tell you want to say something. No, I think, I mean, I also, I think it goes along with that, but also what Dan was saying and how it doesn't have to be this way. Like the acquiescence of the system that we currently live in is, is, um, is something that we kind of need to change. And I think it kind of goes back to what I first started with and kind of what we've talked about that change happens when those who have power change things. And they, and they they typically have to be pushed to change things. And going to what I was talking about when I was like browsing Facebook to see how people who were previously, you know, bashing black lives matter during violent, you know, the occasional violent uh, act that happened there, how they were reacting. I was very, you know, I'm again, very interested to see. And a lot of it was dismissing, like, listen, you know, it was, it was mostly like this. It was mostly like, oh, now people want to talk about violent protests after summers of violent protests, something like that, um, or um, just not staying silent. So I don't know if this is a weird unifying – this thought is like a weird unifying message in some way. But again, like I think when we were talking about Black Lives Matter, when violent protests happened, my mind went to it's not – it's not the way we should frame it. We shouldn't be framing this conversation around those without power who maybe committed a violent act. That is not the way to frame the conversation. And it doesn't, doesn't put any pressure on people who can actually change things, those in power, to do anything if we just focus on the people in Black Lives Matter. Similarly, I would say the same thing here, um, that the people who stormed the Capitol building yesterday, focusing on their actions Um, again, obviously everyone's accountable for their actions, but focusing on that, I think is the wrong way to frame this because it doesn't really make anyone do anything. And those who have perpetuated lies about the election, those who have instigated, um, you know, Trump literally telling them to go protest at the Capitol building, those who have instigated violence, those people in power are those who we have to really focus on. I think framing it like that, is is really important that's how i then that's how that's how we change things and i think that's to go back to dan's point how things can be different but i don't know your reactions yeah i definitely have one but i i want to give dan a a chance to speak on this no i want to hear what you have to say matt go ahead so uh yeah i mean that's kind of the same thing we've been saying it's to focus on the the insurrectionists from from yesterday to focus on even Donald Trump himself is so myopic in terms of what the problem is. Uh, and you know, again, this is my huge, biggest criticism of the liberal, neoliberal, centrist, whatever the fuck you want to call them. Um, they only focus on the individual acts. They only focus on 
they only focus on the the ex- especially obviously racist slash uh, militant acts. You know, it's a the perfect example is last year, but literally a year ago, right? The Soleimani assassination. You had a lot of Democrats coming out talking about. This is, you know, this is irresponsible. Uh, This could get, this is an act of war. It's like, yeah, the whole imperial system is an act of war. You know, this whole thing, the the assumption that the United States has the right to kill anyone on the planet at any time is the problem. And Trump is the fucking outgrowth of that, right? Like, By the the way, I think Iraq just issued a warrant for Trump's arrest for that. Yeah, Iran issued a... Was it Iran or Iraq? I think it was Iraq. Oh, well, I mean, but I, I, I did see that. I thought it was pretty funny. It, it's cute to think that anyone thinks the United States is subject to international prosecution. But uh, I do appreciate the effort. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the idea that any that you can just focus our real problems that are systemic and will continue long after Donald Trump is out of office and even uh, if nothing changes, even after Donald Trump is alive, uh, on individuals, you know, we're, we're kind of not seeing the forest from the trees here. We're, we're not seeing that our problems are in imperialism, capitalism, you know, and, and outgrowth of that racism, militarism, um, you know, and we're not going to, we're not going to have a demilitarized society when Donald Trump leaves office. We're not going to have an end to racism. We're not going to have uh, an end to private health care and people, uh, having to uh, buy, uh, buy in, uh, ration their insulin. We, uh, none of our major problems are going to be solved because we see things as individual problems and not uh, systemic problems. So I, I definitely agree with you, John. So sorry, John, I know you're trying to Yeah, say no, that. I think we are running out of time. And I do want to give Dan the last word. We've covered a lot of ground here, Dan. By the way, Dan, this is a, a beautiful guest moment where I give you some time to think while I cover what we've been talking about. We've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> We've talked about what's been going on in our classrooms as of, you know, in reaction to yesterday, our own opinions, initial reactions, and also how this relates in a broader perspective, both in terms of systems that we have, um, but also an international perspective of how we should be viewing this. Dan, what are some final words of wisdom that listeners should take away? I guess I, I guess it would be kind of my response to the previous question, which would be, you know, fuck all of them, right? Like, I'm not here to parse out who's the most responsible, you know, fuck Trump, fuck all those people yesterday, <laughs> fuck, fuck anyone who voted for him, you know, and I don't feel bad, you know, those four people died, you know, the one dude apparently tased himself in the nuts, and that's how he died. What? I did not yeah. hear that. Yeah, one of the four who died tased himself in the balls in his, and died. That's shocking. (laughs) Jesus. So that's, you know, those are my profound things to say. There we go. Leave them with, leave them with that, Matt. Do you have one one last thing? No, it's just like, it's like everything. Look at things in a bigger picture. You know, this is not unique. This is very American. And if we want things like this not to happen, we need to look at total systemic change and, Until we start talking in those terms, we're not going to see events like this come to a cease. Uh, pass it to you, John. Yeah, I mean, I guess we will see what happens in the next couple of days as a result from this. But that is all the time we have. Thank you so much for listening here at in the in the context of Empire. I want to thank Dan for joining us and leaving us with incredible words of wisdom. You're our welcome. most frequent guest. <laughs> 
Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you all next time.